If you have a Bible, you can turn to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. We are looking at the book of Ruth today. We are looking at the story of Ruth today. And we are in the middle of our Bible engagement. Um, Just to touch base on our faith verse, as you recall, our Bible engagement verses. If you're with us new, we're taking... 10 different volumes, and we're looking at different volumes as we walk through the Bible to listen for the voice of God in the story of God's Word. We've been doing this since October. We're doing it from our young children all the way up through our adults and our community groups and our students. Every three weeks or so, we have a different faith verse that we're talking about, and we're getting deep in God's Word to understand not just what the Bible is about, but how the Bible actually relates to us. There's a difference You may know people that are good at teaching you about the Bible, but that's no different than teaching a history lesson. The Bible's not dead. God's word's very clear. It's alive and living and breathing, and it is the foundation by which the church was birthed and the way the church is going to accomplish all that God has for us. So that's what we're doing, and that's why we've been in the midst of that. Our faith verse for this uh, volume is Isaiah 41.10, and it's right up here for you. Uh, Isaiah says, or God says through Isaiah, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. That's a really great verse. I remember the first time that verse spoke to my heart. It was, um, Many years ago, at the end of a sabbatical, when I was looking at what God wanted to do in the next steps of my life, and that was a scripture that stood, this jumped out on the page, and I felt like the Lord was basically sitting next to me and said, don't worry, you're going into some mess, but I've got you. It's going to be messy, but I've got you. Yes, Lord? (laughs) Don't be discouraged or afraid, he says, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged. For I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. I wonder how many of us, if we're being honest, have looked at different times and seasons in our lives and would acknowledge the very thing that that scripture is pointing out to. Stuff happens and we can be on the the, the short end of the stick, it feels like sometimes in life. But God promises to walk alongside his people. In fact, he promises not just to walk alongside, but to strengthen us and to help us and to uphold us with his right hand. You know what I love about that? Is that he's not saying, you can do it. You can do it. Just try harder. That sounds like Dora the Explorer. You know, you can do it. You can do it. We did it. No, God does it. We don't do anything. We just say, God, we're weak And you're strong, and strangely, I don't know how this always works this way, but when we feel the weakest, God seems to bring the greatest strength into situations. Amen? So that's our verse. That's our faith verse. I want to encourage you to remember that. I don't think it's a a coincidence when I remember the first time I heard that verse and the circumstances to where we are today. And I looked at it this past week, and I said, wow, some things come full circle. Don't be afraid. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So where are we today? Volume 4, Session 2. Volume 4, Session 2. In Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 22 is what we're going to look at. Today's message is called Set Apart for Future Generations. We're in the, the month of January. We're looking at being set apart. You may recall I've used that every week. Being set apart means being holy. God uses the term holy in scripture to be set apart, 
Not that we're perfect, but we should be different. We should look different. When the presence and the power of God fills us, guys, when the presence of God inhabits us, we give our lives to Christ, we will live and look different. If there is no change, there is no God living inside us. If there is no transformation that starts to happen, then we have to question whether what we're really doing is genuine. Because you look different. You act different. The Spirit begins to convict us and challenge us. We don't need to be perfect to come to Christ. We don't need to get rid of all of our junk in our lives to come to Christ. We need to come to Christ, become, make Him our Lord and Savior, and then He cleans up the mess that's inside our hearts. He cleans up the addictions and the behaviors and the thoughts. He renews our mind, Paul says. Be transformed, he told the people in Romans, right? Don't offer yourself as a living sacrifice and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Today we're looking at being set apart for what? For future generations that begins today and goes forever. I'm going to begin reading in Ruth 4, and we're going to read 13 through 22 together today. You can follow along either in your Bibles or in the slides behind me. I'm reading from the NIV this, excuse me, this morning. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Verse 18. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Let's pray. God, may these words that are, on your, that are written on this page fill our hearts today, and may we see the power that comes through your word, to transform us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love movies. Anyone else love movies in this place? Right? Just hands, any cheer, yay? Any movie people here? Good. All right, all right, movie. That's good. I'm not going to ask you what your favorite movie is this morning because I don't want people judging you around you if you're like, you watch that? That's up between you and God. But I want to tell you something, and I'm being really honest this morning. I love the Rocky movies. I not because we're in the Philadelphia area, you know, and it's all about Rocky from Philadelphia, but I absolutely love the Rocky movies. I had a conversation with someone the other day and I shared that with them and they looked at me and said, what's Rocky? And I went, ha, 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 ha. And they looked at me with a straight face and they said, no, seriously, I've never heard of that before. I'm like, oh my goodness. And, And here's a sad thing about it. They were 20 years old, which means I'm really old because a 20 year old didn't know that. But here's what I want to tell you. I love the Rocky movies. You might have seen some of them. You might know some of them. Here's a spoiler alert. If you've never watched them, cover your ears. But this is the deal. There's many of them. I think there's like 3,000 at this point. But from Rocky 2 and up, he wins. He wins. He always wins. In the first one, he almost won. But in the second one and moving forward, he wins. And can I tell you, the fight scene at the end of every one of those movies is the highlight to the movie, isn't it? 
I mean, it's going and it's going in the music, you know, and the guys are sitting there like, I want to kill you, fool. You know, and then like in Rocky Four, he's like, he is made of stone or metal or whatever. Like, I mean, so they have these things and I was like, dang, this is amazing to watch how this is happening. I absolutely love those movies. It gets me so pumped, so excited. And at the end, he stands there with his microphone. He's like, oh, Adrian. You know, everyone's cheering and everything. He won the music. Big party celebration. Still shot, fades to black, movie's over, right? He won. He's like the big deal. That's what happens. That is not my favorite part of any of the movies. You know what my favorite part of the movies are? The train. Yes! You're saying it. The training montages. I absolutely love the training times. Why? The music's starting. You know what I'm talking about, right? And he's like, he's doing all the stuff and doing whatever he's doing. And he has different coaches that are telling him what to do. There's that one scene in Rocky Four where he's in the, some of you know this, and he's in the barn and he's laying on the table and his whole body is like angled and curved. I remember seeing that going, I want to do that. And the first time I saw that movie, I went up to my room after and my jelly belly did a bunch of sit-ups because I was really wanting to get in shape. And that lasted for a day. (laughs) True story. But I love the training montage, and I'm going to tell you why. The training scenes, excuse me, the training scenes reveal a series of decisions and choices that created a pathway to victory. We can look at the end result and say, he did it. He conquered everything. This little guy destroyed this giant of a man. He did it. But how did he do it? He did it by making decisions that changed a legacy, that changed his future. You make, that make sense? You following me? He made decisions that when you put all of those decisions together, put him on a path to victory. That's what I love about those movies. The story of Ruth, the part we just read, is like the ending of a movie. Big picture, big celebration. If you know anything about the, bo- the book of Ruth, from there's four chapters. It begins with a famine in Israel, and it ends with the birth of a baby. And the highlight of that entire book is the birth of a baby and the genealogy that shows us why that is significant. It's a birth of a baby, but not just any baby. It's a baby that we see through the scriptures becomes the father of, of Jesse, who becomes the father of David. And David, if you know anything from the Old Testament, he was the second of the three kings of Israel, the one that the scripture says was a man after God's own heart. And from the line of David, if you go to Matthew in chapter one, and you go all the way through the line, what you can see from David goes all the way to Joseph, and Joseph is the father of Jesus. Not biological father, but from that line, comes Jesus. So what we're seeing here is the pinnacle of the story that whatever happened from famine and hardship and difficult things ends with the birth of a baby through a woman who through generations to come would be great, 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 great grandfather of the Messiah. That is a highlight of the show, isn't it? That's incredible. So how did he get there? How did this happen? Here's what's even crazier about it. Ruth was not Jewish. Ruth was a Moabite. She was from Moab. And because of that, it's even crazier to think a Moabite, a woman Moabite, would be the mother by which this line would continue to get all the way to David. 
Why wouldn't God have used a Jewish woman? Why did he look to a foreign land and bring Ruth in? Why did those things occur? And how did all of this thing, all these things come to pass? What was the story behind this amazing ending? If you will, what was the training scene like? Well, there's a principle that I want to share with you this morning that we're going to see here in Ruth chapter 4. And I'm absolutely convinced this principle, it is so powerful and it's the, the thing that applies to Ruth and it also applies to us today. And it's simply this. When we make God the center of our story, the rest is his story. When we make God the center of our story, the rest is history or his story. What am I talking about? I'm talking about giving our life to God. When we choose to give our life to God, it puts us in a position that allows God to direct our path for his will and our good. I'll say that again. Giving our life to God puts us in a position, a position to allow God to direct our lives for his will and for our good. That's what this is about. It's about a choice. We have to choose how we will live. We have to choose whom we will serve. We have to choose who we will worship. All of us have the ability to choose, right? All of us have the ability to choose things in this life. In fact, in our country, in the United States of America, we probably have the most freedom to choose over any other place in the world. We can choose where we live. We can choose what we do, who we date, who we marry. That's pretty much how it works in this country. We have plenty of examples of that all through the country of people that started with absolutely nothing and they've made something of themselves and completely transformed their legacies and their lives, right? You can do this. People have created what they call, or they call this country, the land of what? Opportunity. You can choose all of those things. We can also choose who we will serve and who we will worship and who we give our lives to. And we can either choose to live for ourselves or we can choose to live for God. The story of Ruth is the story of a commitment that one woman made, not to herself or her own will, but to the will of God. So I'm going to give you a little bit of history about the story of Ruth, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says this, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, so a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malin and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Verse 3, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth, after they had lived there about 10 years. Both Malin or Malin and Killian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. You see what's happening right here. Israel is experiencing a famine. Remember when I talked about the season of Judges? There was that cycle that happened where Israel served God and then they worshiped foreign idols and there was a consequence and there was God, God judged them for that during that time. They cried out to God and he raised up a judge 
and the judge called them to repentance and God healed the land. But the cycle continued to happen at least 12 times we see through judges. There was a famine in the land at this point and Elimelech did something he should never have done because the scriptures and the law forbid it. He left the land and he went to live in a foreign land and took his family with him. And while he was there, he died. And while they were there, his sons married foreign women. And while they were still there, the sons died. So now we have Naomi, who was the mom, Ruth, who was a daughter-in-law, and Orpah, who was another daughter-in-law. What are they going to do? Now, in that culture, it was a big deal. I mean, a big deal. If you didn't have a man or a husband or a son or someone to help provide your needs. It wasn't really female-friendly, if you know what I'm talking about. They weren't viewed the same way as they should have been. And yet, because of that, Naomi's future was destroyed. What is she going to do in a foreign land as a woman with no one to help care for her and her daughters? What are they going to do? What was Naomi's response? She says, I'm going home. I'm going back to the land of my fathers, the back to the land of my God. In fact, I probably shouldn't have gone in the beginning or left in the beginning, but we're going back to where God reigns. So her response was, I'm going. And she tells her daughters, go back to your families. We're in Moab. Go back to your families. Look at verse 11. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any sons who could become your husbands? These adult women are not going to stick around, basically, she says. Even if I had the ability to have kids, are you going to wait for them to grow up so that you can, they can marry you? Of course not. Go back to your homes. Go back to your parents. Go back to your families. Go back to your gods and do what it is you choose to do. So after some discussion back and forth, her daughter Orpah agrees, says goodbye to Naomi, says goodbye to Ruth, and leaves. And in the Bible, that is the last time you hear of Orpah. She stays in her land to worship her gods. But Ruth refuses to leave. Instead, she makes a statement that is one of the most powerful statements of faith we see in all of Scripture. Verse 15. Look, says Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Verse 16. But Ruth replied, look at this. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord Lord, deal with me ever be ever so severely if even death separates you and me. 18, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go by her, she stopped urging her. Pretty powerful, isn't it? You're my mother-in-law and you don't have a future or a legacy because your husband's dead and your sons are dead, but I'm going to go with you. And I'm going to let you know that your people are now going to become my people. And your God, whom you worship, will become the God that I worship. She made a choice to say, God will be the center of my story. The God of all creation will be the center of my story. And as a result of her decision, God redeemed her hopeless situation. 
We're not going to read it in Ruth, but we can see he provided food, shelter, protection. He provided eventually a husband that ultimately bore a son that would forever change the future of her family for generations to come. We read the genealogy through a man named Boaz. This is what God did for Ruth, and this is exactly what God can do for us today. He redeems broken things. He makes people whole who have no hope. This year, I believe, is 15 years that I've been in this role in this church. And I've spent most of my life in the Christian church. And there's been times that have been ebbs and flows where I've been close to God and things that I haven't. But I can tell you over the last 15 years, and I I love this, I I graduated high school, I went to college, um, pre-med, tried that for almost two years, visited Hershey Med Center and went, no way, not doing that. Didn't really like crazy that I look at like blood and guts today and people still bring up that know that. And you were pre-med for two years? I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) But I would tell people, I want to be a heart surgeon. I want to be a heart surgeon. Ooh, that's impressive. Today, when I tell people that, they say, well, you're in a really different role than you were 30 years ago, aren't you? You wanted to be a heart surgeon. Now you're a pastor. I said, actually, I'm not. I'm still a heart surgeon. I just point them to a different doctor. God changes our hearts spiritually, not just physically. But I'm sharing that with you because over the last 15 years, people in this church and out of this church, I've listened to the stories. I've watched what God has done through addictions, through abuse, through abandonment, through abortion. I remember years ago listening to a woman come into my office and unbeknownst to her husband, she confessed that she had an abortion. At that point, she had kids that were probably the same ages of mine. So she wasn't too young. And her husband had no idea that this was part of her history. And she wept in my office, wept because of what she went through over the years and years before, could not even compose herself. We spent some time praying. We put some things in place. We put her in contact with someone who could help her, a Christian counselor that understood that trauma and also understood what it meant to trust in the Lord to walk through that process. Six months later, she came back into my office with her husband and told me the entire story. Not one tear. Not because she wasn't sad, but because she was healed of that pain and that trauma. God does not hold a gloomy cloud over us when we've made mistakes. He doesn't look at our situation with a closed fist and say, how dare you have done that? Now you have to suffer through that. He looks at us with open hands and he says, if you will make me the center of your story, I will heal you. I will redeem you. I will show you that though you felt like you had little value, you now have huge value. Your identity is not going to be rooted in the people around you or your parents or your career or your bank account. It will be rooted in knowing me. And when God is at the center of our stories, church, all things change. This week, I was looking through some old pictures. And I found this picture, and I just want to share it with you briefly because I still absolutely... Shocked, I stared at it for so long. Hang on. 
there was this picture that I found. And I just stared at it, and I didn't have any words. I'm going to show you this picture. Here it is. Now, that's a picture of me getting baptized when I was 11 years old. Someone saw the picture yesterday and said, look, Jesus actually came down and baptized you. (laughs) On the left is my uncle, Paul. On the right is my cousin, Paul. And I am Paul as well. Paul cubed in in the pool. Paul, Paul, and Paul in the pool. I'm showing you this picture today not because I'm going to say like some angel descended from heaven or the spirit dropped on me like Jesus or anything like that. But here's what I, do, I know. I remember very few things of my childhood. I remember very few things. In fact, the younger you get, the harder it is to remember some of those things. But we do remember moments that make an impression on our lives for eternity or make an impression on us. And at 11 years old, I remember what the temperature was like during that day. I remember putting the gown on in the side room. I remember walking down to the pool. I remember watching my dad get baptized the same day I got baptized. I remember that picture standing there in the pool. And if you notice, the pool water is almost as tall as I am. My uncle looking at me and saying, do you love the Lord? I remember that question. And he said, I said, yeah. And he said, and are you willing to serve him for all the days of your life? As an 11-year-old, I said, yes. And I remember them baptizing me. And can I tell you, that moment wasn't the moment that my entire life changed. It was the beginning of decisions that I started making choosing one direction over another. At 11 years old, now you could say, I made plenty of mistakes and still do as an adult. But at 11 years old, making that decision, going through junior high school, high school, remembering the differences, seeing people. I remember having my friends over and talking to them about God. I remember one kid I was in a tent with in in junior high, and I played Christian music for him. Or another kid, he was leaving my house, and I had this Steve Green song going through my head called People Need the Lord. I'm dating myself here, but some of you know what I'm talking about. I was in high school remembering those things. I remember rededicating my life in eighth grade. I remember God speaking to me about worship ministry when I was in my 20s. And I remember God calling me to leave corporation, the corporation I was in 15 years ago. Our lives are not perfect. There's tons of pain in the lives that we wrestle with today, church. But I'm sharing this with you because I can guarantee you something. I can guarantee you that though Jesus doesn't promise a perfect journey, he promises a peaceful one. He doesn't promise a world without pain. He promises an eternity with hope and life, eternal. He promises to be with you. He promises strength. He promises transforming power to overcome the things that we can find hopeless in this life. If you struggle with addiction, if you struggle with depression, if you struggle with hopelessness, if you struggle with identity, if you struggle with parents, if you struggle with 
Children, if you struggle with loneliness, you can tell God whatever it is you struggle with. And here's what he will do if he is the center of your world. He doesn't take all the circumstances and change them immediately. Many times we ask God to change our circumstances because he wants, we want the storm to be quieted so our heart can be at peace. But many times God says, I'm going to make you at peace in the midst of the storm. Sometimes he quiets the storms. Sometimes he quiets us in the midst of the storm. And I'm sharing that with you this morning because Ruth made that decision that set her apart, not just for a moment, but for a legacy that changed future generations. And today she is spoken about thousands of years later. Why? Because she made a choice to say, your God will be your God, my God. Your people will be my people. And she faithfully chose to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who transformed everything. This morning, that's my question to you. But the story doesn't end there. And I just want to say this briefly as the worship team comes. This story isn't just about God bringing life to our earthly lives. You see, someone once said, The New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Everything that you see in the Old Testament, so many of these stories of deliverance, redemption, all point to one foundational truth that we were created. We were created to know the one who knows us and that all points to the need that we have for Jesus. You see, in the same way Ruth experienced famine and Naomi experienced famine and her sons and husband experienced famine, we today as people experience spiritual famine. Scripture is very clear to say, without God restoring or regenerating our lives and our spirits, we're dead in our sins and our transgressions. You and I are dead. We experience famine. And sometimes we think we can find the answer to that. Sometimes we can find the answer and the solution that if we do enough, if we work enough, if we serve enough, that God will bring the answer to us so that we can have peace. But Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 11, he says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is he talking about? He's talking about the spiritual famine that we all struggle with. How do we know we're in right relationship with God? What is the future like beyond this world? We experience peace by making a choice to respond to the message of Jesus. Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. What does redemption look like? It looks like a cross. It looks like a sacrifice. It looks like us putting our faith not in our works, but in the works of Christ. I'm going to ask you this morning, because I don't know where everyone is, but if you would take a moment as we get ready to close and the team just sings this song, where are you this morning? Where are you in your journey? Maybe you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ, but you know that there's brokenness. 
You know that there's struggle and pain that you deal with. You know that you continually repeat the same thing or you're just crying out saying, Lord, I need your strength through this. Can I remind you, when we choose to make God the center of our story, the rest is history. He will redeem. He will bring hope. He will bring care and he will bring counsel to all who seek him because he is good. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Christ, let me just say this up front. You will never experience the peace that God has created you to experience unless Jesus Christ is at the center of your life. People can say that sounds harsh. It's scripture and it's truth. Jesus didn't say he was a great teacher. He called himself the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's a beautiful invitation for us to come to Christ. So as the team plays, I'm going to ask if you would stand with us. You're welcome to stand. Can we just quiet our hearts and let the team play and just spend some time talking to the Lord this morning. Spend a few moments speaking with him, asking him to bring redemption, restoration, and healing because he wants to and he's good.